0: Hello all, good morning, good afternoon, good evening whenever you're watching or listening to this podcast and welcome to the Goddess Project Podcast. My name is Dr. Carla Ionescu and I will be taking you through this episode. Well, I take you through every episode Um, and this episode is on Fortuna, the goddess of good fortune or Fortunata. I I don't know why that keeps ringing in my head every time I say her name. Um, And so I might, you might hear Fortunata a lot more. Um, If you're new to this podcast, welcome and thank you for joining me and listening to my goddess rant and the connections of goddess symbolism and the divine feminine and popular uh, culture. This podcast is really a way of analyzing primary sources about gods and goddesses, although to be fair, we've looked mostly at gods this season but also the way that they apply to history and to our modern society and particularly to the concept of the divine feminine, which is making a strong comeback. Yay. Um, and so a little bit uh, before I dive into the podcast, just a little bit about what is going on. As some of you know, um, there is an after the, after the podcast little episode that I've been putting on Patreon. Uh, I'm just setting up Patreon so that it's kind of cool. I'm new to it all. Um and I I'm just working with that website to see kind of like how it looks and how it works and all that kind of stuff. And the reason why I've signed up for Patreon is because um while I do love teaching, I'm teaching again at the university starting in the fall. I've been teaching for 12 years now. Um I teach a lot because as a contract professor or I think in the States you call them associate professors. Here we call them contract faculty. But as a contract faculty, um, you have to work a lot of courses in order to live a regular life. And so I would really love to be able to spend my time doing more research, more writing, more podcasting, more sharing Um maybe a little mini documentary series, other things that involve the goddess Artemis, the goddess, the divine feminine symbolism, all of these things that I'm really passionate about. But I would really love to be able to do that. And in order to do that, of course, as you know, you need some funding. And so I'm hoping that Patreon will be, will give me a little bit of a break uh, in the sense that it will allow me to teach less courses um, because I do have to give my students 100% of my attention when I'm with them. And sometimes even when I'm away from them um and then allow me to focus some of my attention on things I'm really passionate about which is my research um and so today for after the podcast we are going to look at some roman superstitions um which is, which is uh interesting in itself yeah and a lot of fun so without further ado I'm just thinking if there's anything else that I want to tell you. Without further ado, no, I think we're good. I'm going to pull up my slides. So if you're listening to this, um, that's really cool. As you know, I'll describe to you what's going on. Um, But if you're watching it, then I'm just going to pull up my slides right now. All right. There we go. And perfect. There we go. So I've called this episode, uh, Fortuna, May the Odds Be Ever in Your Favor, because I saw that in one of the, um, uh, one of the pages that I was doing research on, uh, said something like that, like the odds are in your favor, or, you know, fortune is in your favor, or fortune favors the bold or those kinds of things. And immediately I thought Hun- Hunger Games, right? And I thought that is so cool because again, that's another way that we apply the concept of fortune or good luck, um, in our modern day culture and certainly in our modern day films. And so I thought that was really cool. And so I've titled this episode, um, may the gods be ever in your favor. As you can see, we're on episode 17 out of 20, which is awesome. Remember that the finale episode, which is number 20, will be a series of questions and answers. So a Q and a on my social media, um, Uh, I'm just thinking if I did it on Twitter, but on Instagram, for sure. I keep posting uh, a story that asks you to ask me questions and I'm collecting the questions that people are submitting. And for our 20th episode, we're going to do question and answer. Some of the questions have been quite in depth. So I thank you guys. Some of them I have to go look up. I'm like, uh, I'm not sure. Let me go look this up. So please feel free to either leave me questions in the comments if you're watching on YouTube or... Uh, send questions uh, on Instagram or Twitter and yeah I think that's my I mean you could send questions on TikTok as well if you're there but um, but yeah send any questions oh and Facebook of course okay so everywhere on my social media feel free to send me any questions for the finale wherever you uh, whatever social media you use and I will anonymously answer them and so I'm not going to point out who asked them, but I'm going to anonymously answer them in our finale. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be lots and lots of fun. All right. So let's begin with uh Fortuna. Who is Fortuna? And, you know, what why is she both powerful and again, someone we don't of- we often take for granted. Often take for granted. I don't want to say that we've forgotten, you know, I do talk about Artemis and how she's forgotten a lot of time or overlooked. I don't think Fortuna is that I don't think she's overlooked at all. I think we take for granted that when we talk about fortune or good luck or luck altogether, that we take for granted that we're actually talking about this goddess. So I think that that's really what happens with her. So one of my favorite things about Fortuna, of course, is that she gets to pick whether or not she's giving you a boost. She's a really fickle. No, I don't like the word fickle she's technically not a fickle goddess, but she has a, she's a goddess of choice. Yeah. She has lots of choice. So she is the person you want to speak to. If you want some luck on your lottery ticket, or if you want a promotion at work. Okay. I mean, she could even be, some people have argued that she is the power behind the law of attraction. Um, in the sense that if you can connect to her in a positive way, she can help you manifest whatever it is that you are looking for. I mean, either way, she is your best bet for good fortune. Now, who was she? Well, unlike many of the goddesses I've talked about this season, she is a Roman goddess of chance and luck. Okay? Now, some scholars believe that she started out as a farming deity. So she was already part of the Etruscan and pre-Roman culture before the Romans sort of established themselves. Um, and so she is def- she was always linked to prosperity, but that prosperity was much more agricultural. You know? uh, and so she was often seen, for example, as a fertility goddess, right, or a goddess of abundant harvest. In some ways, that's kind of like Demeter uh, for the Greeks in the sense that the abundant harvest, the harvest itself. Now, Demeter becomes Ceres for the Romans, and that's where we get the word cereal from. And so because Demeter takes over that agricultural fertility aspect, Fortuna then becomes more focused not on so much agricultural fertility, but financial, emotional, mm, professional fertility. Um, if you can if you can say that she kind of gets a new job, right, or a new role, right? Um, and of course, she is sometimes also associated with a person's destiny. Um, because she she doles out their fortune, right, or their fate. Okay. Now, at some point, her and the goddess uh, Taiki became overlapped, right? So the goddess Taiki is responsible for, for- fortune, chance, and fate. And again, we're going to talk about Taiki in one second. But again, both of they, both of these two goddesses overlap each other. Then they become kind of one goddess. Um, because the word fortune becomes a much more powerful and easier word to say. Um, and rather than taiki, which is, um, I don't know how to explain it, but in it, from a lingual perspective, uh, as the Roman Empire ex- expanded, Fortunata and Fortuna becomes something that's much more easily understandable rather than taiki. Although I think many understood that taiki was kind of the the predecessor of good fortune. Yeah, not the predecessor of Fortuna. So for a long time, they uh, one could argue that they existed parallel to one another. Okay, so who is Tyche? So Tyche is a really interesting figure, although she plays a very small role. Well, not a small role, but she plays a small role in the sense of um, as far as her mythology or stories or storytelling, right? So she doesn't have her own fantastical stories as some of the other goddesses that we've seen um she's of course like i said the goddess of of fortune and fate which is again interesting uh luck success prosperity that kind of stuff she has a few attributes that then fortuna um takes over one of them is she's holding a rudder okay um and this in this way she was conceived as a divinity that conducted the affairs of the of the world or of the political world, certainly. So the rudder is a way. The rudder is. Um, some of you are going to be like you don't know anything about ships, because <laughs> I was just thinking the rudder is the thing on the ship that makes the ship go left or right. <laughs> um. So forgive me, sailors, for not having the right language around that. But basically, it's it's directing the um way in which the ship travels. And so her holding that rudder is really directing the waters of life. is directing your fate. It's directing your prosperity. It's directing your destiny. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of the things that she holds. Um, and that way, she's often called a Moirai or a fate because she has she's holding that rudder. She also has a ball in her hand, which we're going to talk about at length. Okay, so Taiki has, she holds a ball. I, when I think about that, I think of a crystal ball. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to talk about that. So she holds a ball in her hand and this is supposedly, um, this idea of the unsteadiness of fortune. So that means that fortune can roll in any direction. Okay. And that's why it's in a, it's in a ball and she holds the cornucopia, which the cornucopia is basically a collection of fruits and grains and, uh, abundance. And so that it really, um, depicts plantiness and abundance. Like I said, in one way, agriculturally, um, uh, but later on, it becomes more of a financial, um, and political abundance. Yeah. Um, nemesis is the opposite of taiki. So taiki, uh, rep- used to represent, Fortune and good luck, and all these things. And the Nemesis would be like fair distribution, or the opposite of good luck, and and often becomes associated with bad luck, or shadow self. Uh, the the two were often depicted in ancient Greek vase paintings as opposite of each other. So it'd be Tyche and Nemesis on the other side. Um, excuse me. The other thing that's kind of interesting about um, Tyche is that she's one of the characters that is present according to Pausanias when Persephone is taken. Uh, by um, Hades. So Pausanias says um, he he says that Homer is the first whom I know to have mentioned Tyche in his poems. He did so in the hymn to Demeter, where he enumerates the daughters of Okeanos, telling how they played with Kore or Persephone, the daughter of Demeter, and making Tyche one of them. So she is a friend of Tyche uh, of Persephone's, and um, there are other sort of there are other stories in which. She is present. They're all playing around uh, when Persephone is taken. Yeah. Uh, sometimes she is associated to, with the constellation of Virgo. She was often, uh, so the constellation of Virgo is often identified with the goddess Dike, which is justice. Um, but others used to call her, uh, according at least to some sources, they used to call her Fortuna or Tyche. So sometimes she's associated with. Uh, with the constellation of Virgo. Okay, so what does that have to do with Fortuna and how do we celebrate and honor this divine goddess? I call her a divine Roman goddess because she really is a Roman powerhouse. So Fortuna had her own festivals. She had her own time. So she's actually, I, I didn't mention to you, she is Zeus's daughter or Jupiter's daughter. As you know, Zeus is Jupiter uh, for the Romans. So as Jupiter's firstborn, she's Jupiter's firstborn daughter, special. Uh, Fortuna enjoys extensive worship in Italy. She has some major shrines. We're going to look at a couple of them. Uh, there's some at um Preneste. And then, of course, at Antium, her day, her her festival day is June eleventh. So June eleventh, ah, it passed, and we didn't really celebrate it. But her festival, so the festival of Force Fortuna, for example, is on June twenty fourth. Okay, so that's kind of interesting because June twenty fourth is right around the summer solstice. Um, and it's not surprising that she would have an entire festival to her there offerings used to be sent to her by boat along the tibur river to her shrines as part of the festivals right so there were there were numerous um, offerings to her you can only imagine how many offerings to her would happen especially on these two days june 11th and june 24th where she where Fortune would be celebrated that sort of lush of summer, the summer solstice or the spring had just turned to summer. It's that sort of uh, feeling of abundance, right? energy of abundance, of warmth, of happiness, of joy, you know, that optimism of good things are happening, good things are going to happen right in that sort of blush of of summer, of youth, of happiness, yeah. Uh, she was also famously, her statue or her paintings were also famously in many, in her altars, in many bathhouses or Roman bathhouses, because actually this is where Romans used to like to gamble. So Romans would gamble in their bathhouses and uh, they would keep an altar to her there. Uh, as a result of this, of course, she also becomes the goddess of gambling, as you are probably not surprised yeah, and and good luck and fortune, good fortune. So she holds abundance. So let's talk about that cornucopia. So remember how I said that cornucopia is um, a symbol of abundance, okay? Uh, a symbol of wealth. but And wealth could be both in the harvest and, like I said, political wealth, financial wealth. It's that idea. Actually, it's really interesting now that I think about it because it's that idea that's connected to food, I just posted something yesterday saying, cause I have a few fruit trees in the back and I posted something saying it, when you have access, when you grow your own food, when you have access to food, okay, without paying for it, where you're just growing your own food, you're halfway to freedom. Yeah. Uh, of course, the other halfway, like I mentioned in my post is uh, to kind of move out of the concrete jungles and move away from uh, property taxes and all these kinds of things. So there's other, some there's political ways to get away from, uh to escape to freedom. Yeah. So escape politics to get to freedom. But food is not an accident that food, and in this case, the cornucopia is, an, is a, a symbol of wealth because when you could feed yourself and your family, You already have a primary step, and assuming that you have the land to feed yourself and your family, that implies that you also have the land to build on, and so you have housing and food. Once you have housing and food, you're halfway to freedom. The problem, of course, later on, once people, I'm, and I'm talking about archaically speaking or neolithically speaking, when people started settling down and 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 having alco- agriculture and their own land and making their own food. The problem, of course, becomes that someone else can now come and try and take that from you, right? Um, and in a patriarchal society, that happened, that's the norm, right? The norm is uh, about power and control and ownership. And so food is freedom, but it also must be shared, right? In fact, I will go so far. I know this sounds a little spiritual and hippie, but I'll go so far as to say that if you share the land and you share the food and you share the resources, that's when you have true freedom or real freedom. Yeah. Okay, sorry about my little sidetrack rants. So as a result of all this, you're not surprised that uh, Fortuna holds this cornucopia, otherwise known as the Horn of Plenty. And that this represents abundance and wealth. If she chooses to give it to you, right? So again, she's in control of that sharing. So if she chooses to give to give it to you, um, you will have it. The next, I would say, and a and a next interesting uh, thing that she holds is that ball, that ball of plenty, or in some cases, the ball of sovereignty. And so I have an image here where Fortuna's holding the ball of sovereignty. I have an, another image where she's standing on top of this ball. And so again, this ball has been interpreted in several ways. and But it's not an accident. So I wanted to show you, I have two images here. One is of Jesus just sitting uh, and in his hands, he's holding a ball. And another one is of a uh, bronze statue of Mary. And in her hand, she's holding a ball. And this symbol is so powerful. The Jesus symbol where he's holding this ball or has his hand on top of this ball is what is is referred to as a Salvator Mundi, which is uh, the savior of the world because Jesus is holding the world, okay? Um, and I want you to think about this idea of the world, sorry, that the ball has these interpretations of either being the world or being that sort of idea of sovereignty, the ball of sovereignty, which means that kings and queens hold also, if you've ever seen in images, a gold ball in their hand. And that ball really is the kingdom and sometimes the world and royalty. And so for Jesus, that meaning overlaps in the sense that sometimes you will see him holding a ball, a gold ball, just a gold ball. Sometimes you'll see him holding a blue ball with um, with kind of a cross, a gold cross on it. Again, a blue ball often represents things like celestial kingdoms or earth kingdoms. And so what's really fast and then Mary as well, sometimes she stands on a ball, often representing the earth. So Mary is standing on the earth sort of supposedly in a protective form. I'd like to think it's a protective form. but Again, she's standing on it. And so sometimes I think to myself, well, if you're standing on something, are you protecting it or is it below you? right? Is it beneath you? Does it belong to you? It's very interesting, right? In this bronze image, she's holding the ball in her hand in the exact same way that fortune is holding the ball in her hand. And also, just so I can throw all these images of balls at you, (laughs) um, the idea of the crystal ball, the ball that tells your future, the balls that fortune tellers use, um so there's th- the symbol of this ball is so deeply embedded in meaning that it is it is um uh, what do you call it it is a variety of contemplations it could be a variety of symbols now The fascinating aspect of it all, of course, is that nowadays only Jesus, Mary, and sometimes king and queens can hold this ball. Oh, well, and fortune tellers. Um, Although, of course, fortune tellers have been sort of degraded or disregarded as sort of charlatans. And so anyone else holding a ball other than kings, queens, and Christian leaders uh, are seen as uh, charlatans or fakes. And so I think it's very interesting that Fortuna holds this ball and that this ball is, has such um, what's the word I'm looking for has such significance um, because she's literally holding the world in her hand, holding the future in her hand. Um, sometimes this is referred to as the orb of sovereignty and the orb is interesting because the idea of an orb is also the idea of, of an, a, an all-seeing eye or an eye or something that sees. Um, there, in this Dutch painting that I'm showing you here, she holds the orb sort of between her thumb and her forefinger. She kind of holds it up like that. Um, and it's really, really fascinating that then we see later on these depictions of um, Jesus and Mary also holding this. And I was speaking to someone today and they're talking about uh, an image of Haile Selassie which is which what which is uh, the king of Ethiopia um and he also held, holds a ball of gold in his hand and again this is the same this is the same image this is the ball of sovereignty the ball of royalty the depiction uh, a combined sort of archetypal image of the globular sense of the world of mother nature of gaia of kingdoms if it's gold of wealth, if it's crystal of fortune, a future seeing of prophecy, all of these things, right, are associated with this ball. And so uh, I mentioned on Twitter that I got, that I kind of fell through this rabbit hole. And really I fell through this rabbit hole of balls because, (laughs) which doesn't sound as fun as it should be, but really um, it's just image after image after image after image where an orb or a globe or a ball is being used as a symbol of power. And that individual or goddess or God who holds it, holds the power over it. Now, in the case of the one image that I have here of fortune, she's standing on the ball in the same way that I've said, Mary stands on the ball. So for fortune, there is an ownership of this globe, of this fortune telling, of this prophesizing. There's control over how the ball spins. And she has control over it. Yeah. So- a very powerful, you know, we talk about fate, we talk about destiny, we actually talk about luck a lot. Uh When we do after the podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about superstition, but these things are very deeply embedded in our culture. We don't think about them. I think we take them for granted a lot. I don't think about them as much. And like I said, I was expecting to kind of talk a bit about fortune um, and be like, well, you know, she's an important goddess of the Romans. But the more I dug, the more I was like, wait a minute. Um and I'm also, I really love that symbols are so deeply interconnected over time and space and geographical location. I really like when I find something in the case, in this case of a sphere, and then, which I probably should have known, but anyways, and then kind of trace that sphere through so much uh, so much iconography and imagery and meaning. Um, and then all of a sudden Fortuna, becomes more than what I originally expected, than perhaps what we all originally expected, yeah? So the ball is, and you think the ball has blown your mind. Well, the last thing that she holds, perhaps arguably the more important thing, is the wheel, yeah? The wheel of fortune, the wheel of life. And for some of you who are like me and total nerds, and you're watching that show, The Wheel of Time, or you've read that that book series, The Wheel of Time, the wheel again just as a side note a circle yeah um one day i should do a, an episode on circles but i think i'd be here for 5 hours yeah uh such such a such powerful imagery geomet- geometrics or geo geometry or geometrical shapes have uh but none absolutely none not even the triangle is as powerful um as the circle and in this case as the wheel So we have heard of the wheel of fortune because literally we have watched the show, the wheel of fortune. When I was a kid, my grandmother used to watch the show, even though she didn't speak very much English. She used to watch the show wheel of fortune. Um, and I think she liked the spinning and all the guessing and she would sometimes write the phrases that that would come up on wheel of fortune and I would come home from school and she would call me and be like, what does this mean? You know, what does this refer to? So I used to love watching that show with my grandmother and I know that she loved watching it, but the very, the very concept of that show wheel of fortune is literally the wheel is spinning and so is your fortune. It's important to note a couple of things. The first one is that Taiki does not hold a wheel. Remember, I said she holds this ball, this sphere, um, and that's and that fortune can go either way. In a sense, the wheel is similar to that, but so so much more. Okay, so the earliest reference to this wheel of fortune that that Fortuna holds um, can be traced back to fifty five B C E. Excuse me, one of Seneca's uh, tragedy or uh, plays, Agamemnon. There is a chorus in the play that addresses Fortuna in terms that later on would become almost proverbial, and in a high heroic ranting mode that the Renaissance writers would later um, emulate. And this is very like Old English. So to sum it up, it basically says that whatever fortune has, whoever whoever fortune rises high up, they will end up um bringing brought brought down low it's it's that idea that whatever goes up must come down um and then it's sort of a longer um chorus chant where it's like uh whoever is modest has a longer life um if you're content with who you are you'll be happier a safe breeze hugs the shore that kind of stuff okay so again it's almost like a bit of a warning that you don't want fortune to spin that wheel too much in your favor because you'll have to come back down, right? So, again, that idea of what comes up, uh, what comes up, sorry, what goes up must come down. Yeah. What goes up must come down. Uh, now, this image of the wheel is powerful. Um, I have here on the screen uh, a tarot card. Uh, there's a lot of there's a tarot card for the Wheel of Fortune. Sorry, I'm not really that much into tarot. My daughter is a big tarot um, reader. But I know that there is a, a Wheel of Fortune card in tarot. Um, and fortune herself was often depicted. The image of fortune was often depicted throughout the Middle Ages and well into you know, the 1800s, 1900s um, in many renditions that were similar that and so this is what the renditions look like. Okay, she's usually represented as larger than life in the paintings. Okay, and then there. Is, so you, you want to make sure that you, the artist wanted to make sure that she was singularly the most important image, um, in the uh, in the artwork. Then the wheel. So she's represented sometimes behind the wheel, on the side of the wheel. Often it's behind a wheel, right? So the wheel is in front of her. So the wheel itself has four shelves or stages of life with four human figures, usually labeled. So on the left is I shall reign. So there's a, a a human and beside them says I shall reign in Latin usually. On the top, the human figure has labeled on them I reign. Okay, and usually this figure is crowned. So this is the top. Um. On the right, descending descending to the right, so everything is going clockwise. Descending to the right is another human figure that says, I have reigned. And then the lowly figure on the bottom um, is usually marked, I have no kingdom. So think of it like a 12, like if we're going clockwise, it's a 12, 3, 6, 9. <laughs> Sorry, I had to think about the clock. Yeah. Um, and so that's where these individual humans are. And so it's this idea of um, going up, I shall reign, I reign, I have reigned, I have no kingdom, yeah. and the wheel spins, okay? So she's often, and this often represents her duality and her instability, right? because she spins the wheel as she sees fit and when she sees fit. So you could be at the top, as we all know, for many, many years and suddenly find your way back down. Or you can be on the bottom for many, many years and suddenly find your way back up. Um, and so this idea of the wheel of fortune, the wheel of life, the wheel of time is really fascinating. And Part of me wonders, and I mean, I haven't looked this up and I'm not sure that there's any studies on it, but part of me wonders if um, the reason why Tyche doesn't have it while the Romans have it is because the Romans were obsessed with chariots. The wheel is always a representation of work, of labor, of agriculture. And um, the Romans really liked mechanisms and technology, even though they took very much technological ideas from everyone they conquered. Uh, but they were really able to adapt a lot of what they... So if I was actually... To, I actually, now that I think of it as a side note, if I was to define the Romans with a symbol, it would be the wheel. I, I'm trying to think if there's another symbol, but really, I think that the wheel fits Roman mentality, goals... The very fact that they literally expand, so they like literally riding their chariots into other spaces. And so I wonder uh, if the wheel itself is something that the Romans really associated. um, It's a symbol of their own agricultural and developmental sort of political worth, and that that wheel is associated with Fortuna. Um, And then it takes on a life of its own, right? Again, the wheel, just like the ball or the sphere has this multitude of meanings a multitude of meanings and um it's one of those symbols that we recognize of course right away and that we recognize the meaning of right away and then that is applicable really easily in other and actually applicable in things like buddhism for example has this concept of the wheel um applicable across again time and space so fortuna has two things so far that are applicable across time and space she has the sphere and she has the wheel so quite incredible i think um for a goddess that is supposedly you know a goddess of fortune but i don't think that we think about how significant the concept of fortune is. We don't use that word all the time. Like I don't use that word, but we use the word luck a lot. We use the word destiny. We use the word fate. Now we're using the word manifestation, which in one way is sort of rolling the wheel of affirmations, of intent, of voicing intents. You're moving forward. You're rolling forward. Like there's a lot that can be connected to this that I think if we were to dig deeper, we would find these numerous connections. And also this idea that life is like, I always think about life as a wave in the ocean, right? Like it comes in and out. Um, and I learned a long time ago that if you understand that life goes up and down nonstop, that that this is out of your control, that you will live a happier life. And so for me, um, that has really helped me come to terms, for example, when the wave pulls away or when life is not good or when bad things happen, I know for sure, 100%, no doubt that life life will be good again. Unfortunately, sometimes when life is great, you know, at some point life will not be so great. And so what I do then is I just stay in the moment and I bask in the greatness and I enjoy it and I memorize it so that when life is not so great, I can survive through those times. Why was I going on this rant? Oh yes, and so this idea, uh, of waves to me, like I always think about lives as waves. And so when my kids go through something, or I'm going through something, I'm like, well, this is just one of those waves, you know. But a good a good influx of ocean is coming for sure. The wheel is the same in the sense that this is sort of a rotary movement, right? Um, that when you whatever goes up must come down, but then whatever is down must come back up. So, in many ways, I think the wheel is and continues to be applicable for literally any aspects of life that is going on that that are going on with us or that we need to be dealing with or getting through yeah okay and then the the perhaps the more the, the more interesting well i keep saying that for every slide this is more interesting this is more interesting uh oh i didn't talk about oh yes i did sorry Sorry, I'm skipping through some slides and then I'll go back because sometimes I make my notes in one way and then I make my slides in another way. And I know that I should probably be a bit more better organized, but then I get too excited about doing the podcast. So if you're watching this, my apologies for going back and forth uh, through the slides. But one of the other things that I wanted to add to her representation and the way that she's depicted is that um, she is often shown as blindfolded. Okay, so this this concept of blindfolding refers to the fact that her actions are entirely random. So the, the idea that fortune is random and she's blindfolded spinning a wheel that could land on good luck or bad luck without prejudice. Actually reminds me of another game show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the price is right. You know, and the price is right. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but my gra- that was my grandmother's second favorite show. Uh, when at the end, I can't remember. Sorry, I haven't watched in a long time. But at the end, like the two contestants or three contestants, they pull that wheel at the end. And again, that's another form of a wheel of fortune. But the idea is that the wheel is random, okay? So that she's not making, she's not punishing you. So fortune doesn't punish you. So fortune in one, in a very fascinating way, is not a divine being that is judging you. Um, She just spins the wheel. And wherever the wheel lands, that's, where it lands and so there's a randomness there's a non-judgmental there's almost dare i say a fair chance at both success and failure for everyone okay um and so she she does as she wants which is kind of what i have here right um and the blindfolding really interestingly um reminds me of justice right because justice is blind too So when I saw that, I was like, is justice random? Well, some of us who are watching news as it unfolds uh, in North America, particularly, one could argue that justice is random. Um, But this idea of not seeing the result is really fascinating, right? Um, So this blindfolded depiction of her is there is an important figure in many aspects of even Italian culture today where this idea of the Fortuna, luck or unlock, luck or unlock, sorry, plays a prominent role in everyday social life, okay? And it's sort of this, there's this idea, there's this Italian saying that says uh, luck is blind, right? And so, again, that explains why some people get good fortune and some people get bad fortune, she really doesn't care, right? Uh, She's spoken of by nearly all Roman writers as blind, inconstant, unjust, and delighting in mischief. So Fortuna does what she wants and she rewards and unrewards as she sees fit. And so it's really fascinating that she's blindfolded. But again, it reminded me of this concept of justice and how justice is blind. Now we know that justice is supposed to be blind and she has the scales, Right, so that there's a there's a weightiness to justice, and that she's blind, in the sense that she's supposed to be unbiased. Like we understand that, right? I understand that, you understand that, but I don't know. There seems to be a really interesting connection, or I don't know if I'm making that connection, but this concept that fortune is blind and justice justice is blind, and that interestingly sometimes the wealthy the privileged have more justice and also more fortune could that really be random i'm going to say no i'm going to say no because we all understand how politics work but it's really fascinating i don't i don't know i don't know if you kind of fascinated as i am that the fact that fortune and justice are blind And they're kind of these two blind divinities uh, that have lasted into our modern cultures and are represented in our modern culture. So I find that really interesting. Okay, some of her temples. I wanted to talk about a temple, and I have an image here um, of her temple. I'm going to talk, there's a few temples, but I wanted to talk about um, this particular temple. Okay. So the first temple dedicated to Fortuna was attributed to the Etruscan servius tullius okay and the second that is known to have been built is about 293 bce okay uh which is um after the etruscan wars now again like i said the date of dedication of her temples is the 24th of june or midsummer's day and lots of celebrants would come in here so there are still remnants left of this temple um there were undisclosed rituals that happened there again um what we know is that people celebrated by drinking they they wore lots of flowers lots of food you can only imagine what a fortuna temple ritual was like okay and so the cults celebrated in literally basking in in abundance in joy in food in, in all of these, um, all of these, uh, what do you call it? All of these kinds of celebrations, right? Now, one of the most important temples to her, which is the temple that I have here, and that had an oracle, is the Temple of Fortuna Primigena, uh, which is in Praneste and in here there was uh, there was used a form of divination okay so the oracle here used a form of divination in which we're told that a small boy picked out one of the various futures that were written in oak rods so there would be a selection of futures written in oak rods and they let a small boy pick pick this future um so this was the this is one of her most famous temples and it's one of her largest temples uh, in Praeneste. And it's still remnants of it are still standing. And so the image that I have here is sort of a the bottom half is kind of what's standing there, and then there's some other Italian homes around it, and then how it used to look in the ancient world. I love when they do that. I love when they do reconstructions of how it used to look in the ancient world versus what it looks like today. Um, it really shows us the magnitude, the magnitude of what was built for the gods. Uh, and what was, you know, what was done uh, for the gods. Um, and so there were there were definitely numerous um, types of fortunas. For example, there's, uh, and they were worshipped differently at the temple. Or sometimes they were feared. So for example, there's Fortuna Dubia, which is a dubious fortune. There's Fortuna Brevis, which is fickle fortune. So uncertain fortune. Uh, Fortuna Mala, which is bad fortune or bad luck. So these are the top three um women also celebrated uh, fortuna virilis right uh, so this is a a, f- a type of um uh, a viral vir- but doesn't sound right uh, a fertility um And the English language, because now I'm thinking so a virile, a virile masculinity or a virile femininity. Sorry, I'm I, I want to say viral, but it's not viral. It's virile. <laughs> when you're thinking about fertility and virility, you don't want to use the word viral, Right? That's the bad things. Um, and so women often celebrate Fortuna Virilis, uh, for their own fertility and for pregnancy. Um, and how do I say this? Uh so that their partners would have virility. That's good. That's a good way of saying it. And uh, farmers also um, favored Fortuna anonaria, which is a Fortuna of, again, abundance, uh, harvest, growth, and all these other sort of Fortunas. There were numerous, uh, some scholars say there were dozens and dozens of kind of Fortuna. You can only imagine uh, how many different options of Fortuna there would be. There's also, interestingly, a a connection that links Fortuna to Isis. So there is an Isis Fortuna, um, which is, of course, the way that, like we talked about when we looked at Isis Aphrodite, the way that the ancient world, particularly the Romans, but the ancient world, liked to create new deities by combining two or three deities at the same time. Um, And so much like other deities, like I said, like Isis Aphrodite, This Isis Fortuna was found in uh, Thonis Heraklion in Egypt. So um, there was uh, at least one cult that we know to her. Lots of uh, poets, of course, um, talk about Fortuna. Shakespeare, of course, talks about her. Uh, Ovid talks about her. She even appears in Chapter 25 of Machiavelli's book, The Prince, And Machiavelli believed that Fortuna controls only half of human's fate, the other being a person's actions. So this is exactly a quote from Machiavelli. He says, I judge that it may be assumed as true that fortune to the extent of one's half is the arbiter of our actions, but that she permits us to direct the other half or perhaps a little less ourselves. And so... Interestingly, Machiavelli talks about how, you know, you, you may have some fortune in your life, but really you have the purpose or direction to push that fortune in, in whichever way you can or see fit, right? Um, and from then on, as we move forward through time, so we're in the 1400s moving forward today, she just, she kind of becomes Lady Luck. An interesting uh, quote is that fortune favors the brave. You've probably heard this saying before is an official model for the United States Naval Academy classes of 1985, 2004, and 2012. Um, and we hear this term, fortune favors the brave, a lot. But in this case, of course, um, um, what do you call it? She, or sorry, this phrase, sorry, I'm doing two things at once. This phrase is literally um, a depiction for the United States Naval Academy. Now, there's there's a couple of images with fortune with wings, which I find really fascinating. So I was like, oh, fortune has wings. Now, we've talked a little bit about how in the ancient world and sort of pre-Greek world, many of the divinities had wings. And there are some depictions that show Fortuna with wings. A really interesting story about that um, is that the Romans depicted her without wings. They really liked her without wings, which is interesting, considering we talked about Nike, where she always has wings. The reason why we're told that the Romans depicted her without wings is that the Romans created um, an origin myth for Fortuna, okay? And they say that when Fortuna arrived in Rome and took off her shoes, she removed her wings, saying that Rome was her true home and she would never again leave it. So really interesting, really fascinating Idea about Fortuna and about fortune itself, uh, itself, and particularly about Rome and how Rome plays this key role. Um, So, some last sort of, I some last sort of interesting aspects. uh, Fortuna was often worshipped lavishly because of her role as uncertain, right? Because nobody, because she had this whimsical idea, right? She seems sort of. unselective in her selections if that makes sense people were compelled to pay homage to her and she became such a popular divinity that she spread out throughout northern europe Uh, there's numerous altars to her in britain that proved that she was really popular out in britain and in in that sort of northern europe western europe um, part of what was partially conquered by the roman empire Um, it just, it seems like wherever she went, people really enjoyed this idea of fortune. Um, even slaves, for example, when the Romans, of course, Romans had slaves, even slaves, uh, favored her because she could grant freedoms or riches. So the ability to buy you freedom. Right. And she actually really interestingly is, I would say the original divinity for the rags to riches story. Um, the idea that you could be born with nothing financially or even uh, proprietarily, I don't know if that makes sense in the sense that you own nothing. And then by her grace, you become wealthy, right? Um, So she is kind of the guiding force for the rags to riches story. And you can only imagine how powerful that is. It also really says something about us as individuals as humans, actually, and maybe as a collective, not as individuals, as humans, that we are so fascinated, I dare say, obsessed, I dare say, interested in luck, really. You know, I'm just thinking a little bit about sort of this new trend on manifestation and the law of attraction. And, um, I you know, I'm getting into a little bit of this concept of spirituality and manifestation, positive thinking and and um, positive affirmation. I think there's a lot to that. But I also sometimes think to myself, perhaps as a academic, whether or not this new, push towards manifestation, this new pressure. Now, sorry, I'm going to go back on a little bit of rant here. When I was a kid, a kid, when I was younger, 10, 15 years ago, I remember Oprah started talking about manifestation and the law of attraction and that book, The Secret came out, I don't know how many years ago now, maybe 20 years ago now. And my first reaction at that time was, you know, this is really a, a concept or a trend for the rich, because when you're rich or wealthy you can manifest whatever you want because you've got the money to do that and you can take chances and you can move forward and you can leave this job and you can leave that and you can do this. I mean, the rich don't work. So I I was very critical. I was like, this is something that again, puts the onus on the individual. So if you're not manifesting properly, if you're not thinking properly, if you want it too much, if you want it too little, if you're not doing it right, you won't get it. So the onus again is on you and then it's a lot of self-blame. And now I come to it 20 years later and I'm a little torn because the 20 years that I've had put in practice and life experience has shown me that when you do commit to something, when you work for something, when you focus on something and when you stay positive, you can achieve it. But again, I'm a little bit hesitant about this idea of manifestation. Again, it's a bit of relying on lady luck. We don't say that, right? but it's a bit of relying so what ha- i you know what happens is you're supposed to focus on the thing you want to manifest and you're supposed to have positive feelings and uh, people change their minds they go oh first you have to imagine it then you have to imagine the feeling then you have to write it down as though you've already achieved it and then you have to say it to music and then you have to whisper it on a full moon and then you have to and so what i'm finding is and i don't know if you're finding that too especially if you're kind of Starting to notice the trend is that basically, if it's not working, it's on you. You need to figure out how to make it work, and if it's working, great, it's working, <laughs> right? Um, and so I don't know. Again, is this is this my my academic self, my skeptical self? Uh, no. I, you know, I like to think it's my rational. Oh, I hate that word, my. Logical. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a word that doesn't have masculinity attached to it. And all the words like rational, logical, thinking self, is has so much masculinity on it. And I do. And I so I, I, there's a lot of words that have that association. But what I want to say is that there is a part of me that stands outside this concept or this trend and can see how it could be self-destructive. That is, if you are not successful, it's your fault. You're doing something wrong. You're not feeling the right feelings. You're not saying the right things. And that's not true. Sometimes life is just shit, you know? And bad things happen to good people. And it just is that way. And we just have to figure out how to get through it. And so I I do believe in positivity and in having positive thoughts and in trying to get rid of fear and doubt and worry. Because those are a bit of a waste of time worry is specifically a very big waste of time but this this idea that in order to succeed it's all in your thoughts and if you don't think properly you fail i think is a bit of a scapegoat so i hope that as we move forward into spirituality and we open up more to different kinds of spiritualities we can use manifestation in collaboration with other skills, which I think is what a lot of spiritualists are starting to do now, you know, when they're saying, yes, you can manifest things, but also focus on other aspects of your life and, and, and healing work and other work and, and happy work and, and, and other work. Yeah. Sorry. We'll be here forever if I go on that further rant. But so I just wanted to to connect that to this concept of fortune because we do that. We see people who have good things or have lots of good things happening to them and go, "You're so lucky." Um or we see things that have bad things happening to them and go, "Why are you so unlucky?" So we still use that concept of randomness, um of someone being lucky when they're getting things and unlucky when they're not. So that is still very much a part of our status quo. And so in many ways, the goddess Fortuna, although we may not celebrate her days and we may not go into her temples, um, and we may not literally see ourselves as worshipers of this goddess. We do. And I would argue we do in so many ways throughout our day. In fact, I would recommend that you try and spend the day without ever thinking about luck or fortune or fate and see if that works, right? Or be aware, like if you think about it at any point in the day, oh, that person's lucky or, oh, I was so lucky today or that's a so lucky, you know what I'm saying? I wonder if we can make it through a day without thinking about fortune and luck. So that brings us uh, to the end of this podcast, my friends. Uh, We are going to be moving on uh, to after the podcast. So if you would like to talk about Roman superstitions or hear about more Roman superstitions, please join me on Patreon, where I'm going to post uh, this short after the podcast discussion on some of the weird and strange uh ways that romans were superstitious anytime you look at a culture and their superstitions they're always kind of weird and strange that's what makes them fascinating uh, but the romans had a few doozies um so i'll be doing the after the podcast i'll be posting that up on patreon um and you can click the link in the uh actually anywhere in the bio or on youtube on my page uh to join my patreon and i will see you there for after the podcast have a great week have a great afternoon uh thank you so much for joining me thank you so much for being here uh please don't forget to send me your comments questions anything that you might want to ask for the finale Uh, and i'll see you next week